Welcome to a, another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. The Seahawks 2022 season is at an end. Myself, Stuart Court, is as ever here with Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? Oh, I'm positively ecstatic. <laughs> I'm having a great day and I can't wait to do this. <laughs> it's like, okay, and then until next time. <laughs> Go Hawks. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, at one point this evening, I thought oh, it's, it's going to be a bouncy pod, pod and then yeah, second half <laughs> kicks off. Um, <laughs> of which game? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you've had a what? Oh, it's week? been it's been brilliant. Honestly, what a time! What a week I've had for sports. It's been. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Yeah. Carlsberg, Carlsberg don't do sporting weekends, but if they did, they'd be just like fucking this shit. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, the first part of that uh, sporting week that you've had was Saturday night. Um, I tell you, at one point on Saturday, I thought I'm going to be able to crow and crow and crow because it felt like me talking myself into it had like seeped into the locker room, seeped into the zeitgeist a bit, and then you really did talk yourself into it, didn't you? I mean, because yeah. I was I was listening back, and you know, I remember, obviously we were talking. I, I was physically present on the podcast so uh I, I was consuming what you were saying but i didn't realize quite how um seahawk pilled i suppose it would be the word that you, you'd got like you really you really believed yeah because i didn't think their quarterback was very good well i still don't think he's that good um i just i don't know sport into the yeah I was pointing to what uh, Pete was telling for the last 10 days after the the Rams game. It just, yeah. I mean, I didn't like money line them on the weekend, but I, I, in my bet, I had them to win both of them to because there was a chance. And for, I mean, for a quarter, it weren't great. The second quarter was, I mean, yeah, just it just felt like a snowball was falling down the mountain and then half time happened and even the first the first bit of that first drive on um, in the in the third quarter it was all going swimmingly until Damian Lewis had the sneakiest no ball of all no balls ever decided on it's when has that ever been a rule honestly? I mean I don't know who it was in our uh brand new group chat it might have been it might have been old Nick Nicholas Wright but um who <laughs> uh fellow person who's had a stellar sporting week. Um uh yeah. He he said it it's almost it it felt like it was something which was pointed out to the refs at some point during that first quarter half time. Yeah. It was like a real like surrounding the ref equivalent. Uh, uh, but you, you expect that you know, when you get like an RPO or something, yeah, you expect that because you know someone's just lost their head thought thought it's this is actually that and you know that can happen but you know with these incidental ones on like a stick route which has absolutely no impact on the play really yeah and Gino Gino cannot get that I think I think Pete was showing to say it especially the first one Gino cannot get that ball out any quicker than he did no and he is he, it's literally like it's not a no ball like three years ago in cricket, but that's <laughs> it's that close to being on the line kind of thing. And like, there's no way that they weren't doing that in the first half, surely. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there must be ten plays a game where someone yeah. creeps half a yard too far. Yeah, and the Seahawks went two well half, and then what eight plays of the second. The second, uh, second half without a penalty, they had five in like three drives, and three of them, two of them, three of them, yeah, with the same with that. Yeah, it's just very strange. And uh, Gino fumbles the ball, um, when that D line just blows, blows unsurprisingly, gave Jackson up. Um, <laughs> he just, just not even lay a, a finger on anyone, and it just all went a bit peak tongue. And uh, it's, you know, it's ended up getting blown out. I mean, the fourth quarter felt like it lasted three hours. And, yeah, the season's over. So, I mean, but 
nothing nothing that we've probably spoke about when we've like glanced ahead to the off season kind of changed or something like they did it. It's all the same. The checklist, the shopping list for successful off season is still the same for this Seahawks, isn't it? Nothing of that. Nothing was altered on Sunday. No, I, I think. Um, I, I guess had we finished nine and eight in a normal or a, a previous year and seventh seed just missed out on the playoffs and not had that game, I guess everyone would be going into the off season fairly positively. And but it kind of seems that that's happening anyway, even after sort of even after that loss. Um, which is good. Um, I listened to a couple of podcasts today and my, my main worry is that when you're optimistic at one point, variance only goes one way and people can only see variance as trending upwards. Mm. Um, it wouldn't be implausible with a harder schedule and with Gino playing, you know, if Gino put 19 or 18 games up next year, like his last seven or eight, probably not going to be as successful a first half of the season or, or, as we had this year. So there are obviously loads of holes in the team and Pete Carroll even kind of admitted himself. I mean, you would never normally hear him say that we've got a way to go to be at the level of the opposition. And bear in mind that he's always putting a positive spin on stuff. Um, it strikes me that he understands the magnitude of the gap and what needs to be done. And look, they may very well get there and I, I hope that they do. But loads of teams try to bridge a gap every year and some do, some don't. So th- they have the off-season of their lives right now. Um, yeah. like the future of the franchise pretty much rests on this off-season, I think. Yeah. I mean, we saw the AFC East fumble the bag for 20 years trying to bridge the Tom Brady gap. Yeah. And until until Josh Allen arrived in Buffalo, no one got anywhere close with the Cavalcade and uh, a Rolodex of names and uh, different bus. One included is now our quarterback. Um, yeah, no, nah, it's 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 like the Pete quote on the. It was it wasn't just the, the overall depth, was it? It was the the, the issues, front seven, the wasn't front it? seven. And, I mean, he didn't he didn't mention Warner and Greenlaw. He he was more talking Bosa and Armstead. That kind of just like the disruption up front and. That is like, yeah, that, that is where the issues come from. I mean, we're what five years now removed from Bennett and Averill. Like, Jaron Reed's been on two or three teams now. Frank Clark is in Kansas City. Like, and then he was asked about uh, Puna Ford, and it sounded like, yeah, Puna Ford can play well in this league, but we need to play in a very specific way where it sounds like the way everyone talks about the D line and everything down the road in San Francisco. Um, they can do what they want in all sorts of different ways, which is kind of, I think, maybe one aspect of Pete's point. But like, it, 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 it's it's not a gap they're going to try and like trick shot their way over the bridge, is it? Do you think? Because that 49ers line took a couple of years to build. That that's not going to be that's not going to be resolved in one free agency and one draft, is it? I suppose that's the weird thing about having going into this with a head coach who must at some point be looking at the end of his career on the horizon, because this is something that is going to take a degree of a rebuild. I mean, Nwosu is probably the first time they've really put their hands in their pockets for a free agent. And I don't think it's an enormous surprise that he lived up to his contract and more, but the problem with, you know, Taylor and Wosu, Harris, uh, you know, Al Woods, who are all good players is that, the Niners have their equivalents of these players and also Nick Bosa and Fred Warner in that front seven, mm. whereas we're punctuating those guys with crap, really, or, or like, you know, just league average. So it's about how you make your good players um, not... At the minute, our good players are our crucial ones, whereas you feel like these teams like in San Francisco and Philadelphia, their good players are the ones that they're sort of carrying because they also have exceptional talent. Um, I think Mike Dugard just put a a tweet out about that. If you look at the all pro teams, um, the average star rating is 4.5 for defensive players and it's 2.0 for offensive. Um, So I I get maybe that's coming out of high school into college, like, you know, how how these players are ranked. And it it does suggest that, you know, you, you can scheme your way to good offense, um, 
with players that you can you can make do. You can't do that on defense. You have yeah. to have stars, and we don't at right no. now. And that and that the San Francisco the 49ers, this is a Seahawks podcast, but the 49ers offense shared that because like I said, like I don't know what it was, but some of the throws from Brock Burley, particularly in the first half, just looked weird. They looked strange. Mm. They didn't look like I don't know, it just looked strange. I, I still I'm still I'm, like it's the weirdest. Do you remember Wilson's first throw in the Super Bowl to Michael Robinson when he sort of leaked out to the right hand side yeah. and just airmailed him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a bit like that. It, yeah. it struck me as you know a combination of ner- of nerves and rain. I think. Yeah, it's it's the worst three hundred and thirty yard passing game I think I've ever seen. It's all yak as well, which mm. another thing we don't really have an offense. Probably the biggest thing we lack an offense is that yak and yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it was quite startling. I think especially when you add in its Pete Carroll saying it. I think it'd be different if John Schneider come out and said it. Yeah, we need to. Although John Schneider probably wouldn't say it because of fifth pick and three months of draft prep upcoming and stuff. But, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. There, it, there, there is, there is options there. There is ways that they can maybe try and trick shot their way to bridging that gap. But again, if they try that, it's going to be a lot rely on coaching and injury luck, isn't it? Which in that space of their team, the 49ers have had, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably the one place on that team they've had pretty good fortune is that front seven with like Warner Greenlaw that seems to be play every snap and thing. But, but yeah, it's just it was a was quite surprising. But it also it just up- thinking out loud, do you think any part of Carol's we need better players ultimately was barbed towards Schneider? Because basically Whoever's been picking the players for the last five years outside of the last draft mm. is probably quite lucky to still be in their job. Yeah, but at the same time, since Pete got here, they've had a way of building the D-line, and it's the way that they currently have it. They've always had... like The only time they kind of went and got two free agents or paid for two was Bennett and Overall. Even then, they had Clinton McDonald, who was a pickup from... Tampa, maybe, and they had Brandon Meebane, who'd been in Seattle forever. They had Chris Clemens, who was a late round, like Quadre Diggs level kind of trade. Now, they've always kind of done that thing. And that, I mean, Clinton McDonald became, uh, I mean, like Dwight Freeney, people like Al Woods was like just like a stopgap kind of player. Like Shelby Harris could even be that. These, I mean, he'll think if, we, if he's cut, is it nine and a half million we could save on him or eight and a half million, something like that? Like, hmm. But that would be a strange move to make, having said that. But, but yeah, this this has always been the way this this team has um, built 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 things and done things. They've kind of invested the coaching kind of side of it into the DBs with like the Shermans or late rounds of Cams now the Tariq Wallens and Mike Jacksons and Trey Browns. But yeah, it's always been the way. So for Pete to maybe suggest that that's not going to be the way they do it in twenty twenty three and onwards, it's it's just. Yeah, there's, there's the timing is strange. The timing is strange, but then you look at the top five pick, you look at all the quarterbacks coming out and everything else. It just kind of, yeah, it's yeah. I I I, I still yeah, I still think this is this is going to be like you said, it's a massive offseason for this team. I think I, I wrote in that hastily put together thing I wrote um, on Monday. That um, the expectations have changed now for this team. They've changed for the quarterback. Like if, if if the Seahawks get blown out or even don't make the playoffs in twelve months, then yeah, that that ain't it anymore. They've kind of yeah, they've yeah, it's a well off their own back kind of thing. If they don't get a step further, don't win a playoff game because the New York Giants now have won one playoff game in eleven years, and it's as many as we've won in six. Like, and they've got Isaiah Hodgins. As wide receiver one in the divisional round, them DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, yeah, I mean it's eight years today since they beat the Packers. Oh, yesterday since they beat the Packers in the championship game, and since then it's been three playoff wins. I think it's nine years today since the tip, isn't it? Well, it must be there thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, eventually. But, but again, look at those teams. Like we said, like it, the, if you look at the. Front seven. The only difference is they don't have an all-world in his prime linebacker, and if they do, his knee is broken. 
and doesn't sound like he, I mean, yeah. That I think I I, I mean they're probably going to take a passer chair with their first pick. I think that yeah. seems a safe bet. Either inside whether, or outside. whether that's at five or seven, eight, nine after yeah. a trade down. Yeah. But it's what they do at linebacker because, like, I've watched a couple of linebackers this week, and I think they're more like late round. But there's no, there doesn't seem to be a Bobby coming. There doesn't even seem to be a Jordan Brooks coming. I mean, people have looked more into it, probably can say, but that's more the issue. That Jordan Brooks injury is gonna, it's gonna linger along, like into you'd expect into camp at the very least. And if he's there week one, like I think, I think I don't know who it was. Someone asked about the mental side of coming back from that injury with Jamal as well, who's had like three years of this shit now. But with Jordan Brooks at the position, he plays, and seeing how Warner and Greenlaw played to, to such an effective way, is that going to linger? And is that to like the detriment of of ev- of everything really? Because I mean, we see it in football to a certain extent with certain players coming back from injuries, like. My football club lost one of their best players, and he gets whacked every forty-five seconds. He's on the pitch. He's going to come back, and do you take an extra two, three weeks to get him mentally ready, so he's ready to take those hits and not like have like spook injuries, kind of three injuries, kind of thing? It's it's whoever asked that question. That was a really, really uh, that was a good question. It's, it's it's not something that I don't think. Not like fans would kind of appreciate, but they were just they just want to see a Seahawks defense with fifty six on the field and forget everything else kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean Jamal doesn't sound like he's even going to start rehabbing until the summer. From what I mean, what the hell he's done to that leg? Um, I've got no idea because it sounds like he's really mangled himself. Um, and yeah. you know, with that sort of injury, you don't know if he's even going to come back. I mean, you know, this is ironic because some people think he's dog anyway, but you know, is he going to come back the same player, uh, whatever that means? Um, th- there's a lot to do this off-season. There's like two off-seasons worth of work to squeeze into That's what one. I mean. That's what I mean. Finding trick shots somewhere, they're going to they're gonna have to because, like you say, Jamal and Jordan Brooks, if, if, you're, if you're painting a 1-11 to picture, no matter what you think of Jamal and Jordan Brooks, they're... they're, they're the two of the first three names on the team sheet, if you think he wants to eleven on defense, probably. And another one in the top five, I would say, is Quandre Diggs, who has quite a favorable looking cap number that you can get rid of off with a June first designation. But he did have a good few games. But it strikes me as a little bit of that sort of player that turns it on in the transfer window to leave a lasting impression. Because his effort levels seemed, this is maybe a bit harsh, but his effort levels seemed to be upped quite considerably in the last few games of the season. But is that going back to the mental side of coming back from these? Because 12 years, 12 yeah, months quite ago, possibly. he was, that, that, that's what, that's like, I think Quadre is a perfect example of, obviously we don't know what his mindset is and he doesn't seem to be the sort who would, he, he just seemed to be that kind of like laser focus, like, uh, like, locked in kind of thing but yeah I think that's quite yeah but yeah it's there's, they're, they're going to have to find ways and they're, they're not going to just be able to do it through um, the draft they've got four in the top 60 picks at the minute um, and they've got after Gino if they re-sign Gino not a lot of um, cap space to go out and make a splash either have they which kind of again counts against them do you kind of yeah, I mean, it sounds like everyone wants to be back. Gino and the team want him back, and he wants to be back, kind of thing. But yeah, it's 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 gonna be fun. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. The, the quicker that domino falls with Gino, one way or another, the better. On for so many reasons, but, but yeah, it's just yeah I just don't know how. I'm not convinced it's going to be quite as easy a situation as everyone likes to sort of make out with their that even the. Um, you know, Pete saying that you know, we've got our guy wanting to be back. Um, and, you know, Gino saying this is my, you know, where I, I feel like I want to repay them. I think that's all maybe just trying to push towards the front of the uh, the leverage queue a little bit, <laughs> because I'm not convinced it's going to be that that pally when it comes to negotiations. Um, no. I, I'd be surprised if Gino really does feel that he owes the Seahawks anything and, and vice versa, to be honest. I mean, Pete Carroll said last year, 
we have two number ones. Um, he's, prob- he's probably mad enough to believe it, to be honest. And he is the kind of coach that might look across at the sidelines last week and see Brock Purdy just sort of doing enough and being surrounded by talent and saying, well, I can get Drew to do that. Um, and so I, I, I think that's going to be a harder domino to fall than perhaps we would hope it would be. Yeah, but I also do think that Drew Locke won't be in Seattle next year. The thing is, he might be the easiest one to sign, so they might do that as a, just so they've got As a, as a gap, yeah. Because yeah, they currently have zero quarterbacks on the roster, which I don't know much about this game, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's suboptimal. <laughs> I mean, there's teams in New York who have quarterbacks, so they may as well have, uh, mm. have zero. Um, yeah, no, nah, it's uh, a bit more in the game, though. I think I text you or that newly formed uh, group chat, which is which everyone who listens to this podcast. Um, DK we should have Met- just done this as a WhatsApp call. Yeah, really. we should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, DK Metcalf on Saturday. Um, I think I tweeted that it, it. I mean, he got more yards in the Philly game, but that might be the best game DK Metcalf's ever played for the Seahawks. Mm. Like, he, there was no, there was a couple of like shoulder barges kind of, yeah, little like elbows into the ribs kind of thing, but it was all business. And he was it 10, 130, and uh, two touchdowns. I mean, he that's that's kind of that for, for it for a player he obviously didn't know when he was catching half those passes, but for a player who's now that's the last thing he's going to do, we're going to see DK Metcalf do for nine months. That's a that's a pretty strong way to sign off and. Because like if he'd have gone three twenty four and no touchdowns kind of thing, you're thinking, oh, we give him all that money and he kind of went missing in a playoff game and we need we got blew up by eighteen or whatever it was. But he went the opposite and now, I mean, he's a vet. There's a above fifty percent chance that he's the only sure thing at wide receiver for this season next year. Yeah, I mean Tyler Lockett, we've discussed. You know, maybe it just, it just feels like a sneaky year. retirement candidate. Yeah, um, but it's it's the perfect way for him to sign up, wasn't it? Because that's that's exactly the game where you go. That's where in twelve months we can maybe look back and go. That's where he went up a level. He went up. Mm-hmm. He, he jumped up in the conversation. Yeah, I think you're completely right that if Gino had signed off with a mediocre performance, there would have been quite a few question marks. But for all of the nonsense that he has been, you know some of the stuff against the Rams and the penalties or whatever. It's almost like he saw the words playoffs written on the field and thought, right, it's big boy yeah. time now and I'm going to be a leader. And if you had any doubts about DK from a mindset standpoint, I think he probably quashed them yeah. on Saturday. Uh, I mean, he, that was I mean, a, he, it was a proper performance. Yeah. Like there was, like he, sh- he should have had three because he should have had all PI on the one in the, on the pylon kind of like he's falling down it kind of mm. he falls down a bit too early but that I think that was if not PI it definitely was holding but yeah it's the uh, it's, it's exactly what you want to see from someone you just give what seven months ago give a lot of money to and he's still what 25 yeah I mean when they talk about like grown man that was a grown man's performance yeah definitely uh, and that's something that you can really cling on to in the off season I think yeah. Is there anything defensively you saw on Sunday which holds the same weight? I can't really think of anything. Like you said, Buchanan had another good game. I think Mike Dugar did a thread of when he's watching the film, he pointed out four or five different plays where Buchanan either makes the play or blows everything up for the mm. 49ers. But apart I mean, from Bru- that... Bruce getting playoff sacks is just amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I get... Oh, I thought Mike Jackson had an unbelievable play. There's... there's uh, the play on Debo, um, I don't know whether it would be the second quarter, maybe, when they were going from left to right. There's yeah. a play on Debo where he's off, he's in zone, I'm guessing, way off Debo. And De- he just reads every step Debo makes and gets enough in the way to make the play. Whereas I think we saw a couple of times on over the other side of the field, Tariq Wallen looked like a rookie and he was diving mm-hmm. in and kind of, Yes, a little bit. Mike Jackson has been unbelievable. Yeah, look, I think Woolen probably needs a game like that because yeah. 
you can't just go through your career. You're going to take your lumps, you're right. You're yeah. going to take your lumps and much better to take your lumps at a time where if you take them, it's not going to cost the team. And that's really what the situation was. Um, and if, if that's fresh in his mind going into the off season that he can build on, then great. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mike Jackson and also Kenneth Walker, I think it was on the drive where the fumble happened. He had an amazing bit of pass protection. Um, that six weeks ago, two months ago, he would never have picked up. He picked mm. up an amazing blitz. And it's just, you know, it's just little things that, um, you know, we, we, I am you know, pretty critical about maybe the direction that the team's going. But when you see young players do little things like that, you can kind of be swept up with Pete when he says, you know, these guys are going to learn so much from the experience. Like I sometimes feel that's a little bit false, but there's stuff that you see there that, yeah, you know, you, you can buy into that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think the other person who falls into that, maybe more than one, is Abe Lucas at right tackle because mm-hmm. with I feel like he outplayed cross over the course of the season. That's where my point was going. With what was going on next to him at right guard, with the turnstile that was with Jackson and Phil Hayes in game, not just during the season, week to week, mm. he was he got better. Like he was not even a question mark on the thing. And like I think in uh we're gonna watch this week with the Giants. Evan Neal at right tackle has been a little bit up and down for the Giants and Abe Lucas is there at was it 74 the pick I think Lucas mm-hmm. was. And yeah like you said I think I think it I think he's I think he stayed uh, I think he's been more consistent than Cross. I think yeah. in the first few weeks we saw Cross, especially that first week against Denver and uh, Bradley Chubb I think it was where he just gassed. He was gassed because he or she isn't used to whatever an NFL game is compared to a Mississippi State game. But but yeah, like I think Lucas is right there with with Walker and Wallen as I mean Boye Mafia as well the last month has kind of seemed to get his legs up and underneath him a bit. But when you put all together, like you say, you can kind of see what Pete is hinting at. But as with a lot of stuff, it's just a lot of words, isn't it? And we're nine months away from seeing if he's right and being able to smash him around the head with it if he was wrong. So finally, so the Vikings are parting ways with Ed Donatel, which their fans have been screaming for, but it's the same. Weren't he linked with us? Well, it's the same scheme that we're running, basically. It's it's all that sort of Fangio tree. And it is funny how everyone running that scheme without Vic Fangio is furious about how that scheme is coming together. Um, you know, what the hell do I know about scheme? But there is part of it that that you do wonder. That That's the strangest thing that's happened this season for me. Uh, I know we're jumping around all over the place, but a, 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 on a general level, Pete becoming the CEO head coach that we all kind of wanted him to, but happened quite quickly. And just, you know, handing the defence off to someone else. That, that's very strange to me, I think. Yeah, that was a. Uh, anyone watching that? That was quite funny. Um, <laughs> last forty seconds. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. But also at the same time, with that, he had he had one of his like closest allies running the defense in Ken Norton Jr. And when he decides to hand the reins over, it's for Clint Hurt and Sean Desai and um, the other coach who gets referenced a lot on the defensive side. They like all first time kind of in that position at that level of responsibility it's yeah it's very strange that he chose this year to do it but the Fangio stuff kind of feels like the Pete stuff we saw like 10 years ago and deep Dan Quinn Dan Quinn probably nailed it more than anyone else but when Gus Bradley tried to run it in Jacksonville without Sherman Earl Cam Brandon Brown or Byron Maxwell it didn't go very well it has had his ups and downs with uh Dan Quinn it kind of cost him his job at the Super Bowl uh in Atlanta, but he's kind of he's, he's kind of like meshed two kind of things. Yeah, so the Fangio thing is kind of interesting, especially um, yeah, especially because he's probably going to find his way back into the league at DC in a couple of spots, which have popped up today. But um, but yeah, it's just I, 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 when I see all the Fangio stuff, it just kind of feel like the Pete stuff, particularly with Gus Bradley, who still runs it, uh, whatever place uh, Indy was it he was this year? Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 just there's just a lot of weird things which happen with the season, and more so than you're picking fifth and it's not their pick. Um, but yeah, uh, anything else from Saturday? The Seahawks general or the fallout from it with all the people talking? 
Gino had a good game, obviously. It, it, well, in the main, but he still had two pretty back-breaking turnovers. But the second um, one... Yeah, look, the guy runs his route for him, but it's just... The, when you make turnover-worthy throws, eventually they are going to turn into turnovers, and that wouldn't have been a pick against the Rams in their current iteration, and it wouldn't have been one against the Panthers or the Raiders because they're shit. But unfortunately, you can't think it's a good team and the Seahawks want to be a good team. And I suppose that's the concern going forward. And yeah, the, the Geno discussion is going to be one that maybe we'll have now and we'll have yeah, but then- 25 times before the the contract is done or not done. But th- th- it does slightly worry me that they're, he has the propensity to turn the ball over when it really matters. And as I say, that's, his performance on Saturday is one that when you're being paid $7 million, I think you can get away with quite not get away with. I think mm. you're like, yeah, well, it's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I think if you have the moniker of $40 million over your head and play like that, it's one of the first things that the commentators talk about and the pundits talk about, and that's not necessarily your fault, but I do think it does change the narrative somewhat when you do have that massive contract. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely yeah. But I think that kind of falls in that line of the expectations that are here on this team. Like if, like mm-hmm. I said, if they lose in twelve minutes the same way they lost on Saturday, that ain't gonna that ain't gonna hang. And the same is for Gino because now he's not the comeback story. He's not the movie script ending kind of thing. He's he's probably going to be a made man. He's going to be a starting quarterback, starting quarterback level pay player. Yeah, and you can't make those decisions. But at the same time. The first touchdown to DK is a throw. Not many NFL quarterbacks are making. No. And, not and he, many had quarterbacks the high, he had the most long touchdown throws of any quarterback all season. Which is wild when you think mm-hmm. of what? Three of the quarterbacks playing this weekend? Well, it's wild when you think that until like week two of the season, they wouldn't even take the shackles off the guy. No. So they, they, was... didn't, they didn't even really see this in preseason. Yeah, no. No, it's, yeah, it's... Yeah, but that that yeah, he, he made because he didn't start an NFL game for eight years. That might be consistently starting an NFL game for eight years. That might I think he talked about that, talking about getting he's now gonna have nine months, eight months of solid film. He's he can do his fitness work and all that in the knowledge that he's a starting quarterback of an NFL team. Even if it's not this one, he's gonna be a starting quarterback in the league mm. in 2023. But yeah, um that's, that's another aspect of that is that it's gonna be exciting to watch and track and see what that looks like, isn't it? Yeah. But when we hear from Gino if he signs in April or June or whatever the, the next camp is for that lot, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how yeah, it's yeah, uh, this offseason is gonna be wild. Um I was having a conversation with someone on on Twitter last night about this, and he was saying that look at all the forty million dollar plus quarterbacks, and Gino's outperformed almost all of them. And I think that's perfectly fair. What I don't think is going to happen is a market created whereby that many teams will want to give him that much money. I think, I think that when you have one year out of ten like this, and it's the tenth mm. year of that career, it wouldn't stun me if that put off teams that haven't watched him that closely. And I think that might work in Seattle's favor. Like it wouldn't stun me if there was a bidding war at 25 to $30 million, but I can't see that with the sort of Derek Carr's around, potentially Lamar Jackson, potentially Aaron Rodgers, if you can trade for him. I don't know how many pe- how many teams out there are going to want to stomach $40 million on a Gino who they've not really seen up close uh, and personal. So I, I think that might end up working in Seattle's favour and he ends up sort of signing for that slightly under-franchise tag number. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. And also also the same point of that, I mean, obviously it's different position and different commodity and different importance. Um, but we had that conversation, we had that, that was a line of thought and the thread for Richard Penny 12 months ago. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that we do... We, I guess we knew his medicals, we knew his physical, we knew what the work he put in more than 31 of the teams and we got him at on a one-year deal. Was it one-year deal, Lee? I think it was just a one-year deal, he signed, mm. wasn't it? But yeah, it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, he's another one. I mean, the team has 26 pending uh, free agents. Obviously, some of them are just guys they've picked up um, for practice squad. Um, Nick Ballore is one of them that's going to be 
an interesting one for this podcast to, <laughs> to track and follow. Um, then you've got people like Puna Ford who he didn't really talk about. It's such a weird answer. The whole framing that Pete gave, it it, uh, it would not surprise me if he is allowed to walk and leave, to be quite honest. Then you got Rashad Penny, obviously you got Gino Smith, we talked about. There's, it's it's going to be interesting what they do in that kind of thing with those players because obviously the higher up the list you go, the more important they get to the team kind of thing. But um, yeah, the Puna Ford one kind of seems to get rid of him would be a strange move with the the words you said on the defensive front and the front seven and everything and then like subtract from that. But like, Again, I know nothing about scheme. But it didn't seem like this year we got the best of Puna Ford versus no. other years. I mean, Pete said he played too much, which is someone's going to be a free agent, probably not what his agent wants to hear. Oh, yeah, you played too much and you were on $3 billion kind of thing. It's It was a yeah. very strange answer. But, yeah, go and get Joanne Hargrave when uh, Philly win the Super Bowl in three weeks. Go and get him. Go and get him from Philly, please. I wrote about him seven years ago when he came out of South Carolina State. Come on, I, I, I need it. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so I was on Seahawks NFL. Do you want to just do a quick? Who? who oh, I think it's pretty obvious. But who? Who was your Seahawks MVP? If you could have a, a vote for twenty twenty two Seahawks only. The best player the Seahawks had this season. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I I think. I'm going to do this sort of versus expectation. Okay. And even then, I suppose it's probably a toss-up. I, I think I'll go with Woolen because okay. I think to have that sort of meteoric rise, like there were people in the off-season, the tape guys, that suggested that Gino was capable of doing something like this, and I think he'd probably be the, the second choice. But people were saying that Woolen is like the biggest project they've ever taken. Mm. And... I think he played to a level that was better than the first team all pro rookie cornerback um, overall. And I think that's yeah. remarkable. So I, I'm going to, I'll go props to Tariq Will and I'll, I'll give him my team MVP. Have, have I made it? Have I missed someone there? That no. Obvious? No. no I, yeah. I, I, mean, I just thought it was going to be Gina, but the way he framed it just makes sense to give it to Will. But I think the same point, I think Mike Jackson has to be in that conversation for. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, he doesn't have the stats. I mean, obviously, Wallen was it tied the league with six, tied the league lead uh, with six interceptions. But like Mike Jackson was, yeah, like he's played better than players who went and got fifty million dollars from Jacksonville at playing that position did. And at the start of the season, it was right. We'll get through the first six weeks with Artie Burns, a fifth round rookie, Mike Jackson, who's been cut by two teams already, and then Trey Brown's back, and everything will be sound. I haven't, I, stuff. I haven't seen. I haven't. It's okay. I haven't seen Trey Brown make a play. I don't. No. Was he? Has he been active? Is he fit? I don't. Yeah, he's like, been active. Yeah, could be. But one reason for that is because Wallen and Jackson in those six weeks or immediately hit the ground running and just never really looked back. And like we still would point out with Jackson on Saturday, made a couple of uh, eye-catching plays, if not on the stat sheet. So I, th- I, 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 I probably agree with Wallen. And I think you've got to put Mike Jackson in that conversation just above expectation because there was no expectation on him. Mike Jackson was a camp body in July. Yeah, and now I think he's probably starting cornerback. I think Kenneth Walker had a really good rookie year. Like, I think he had 271 carries and no fumbles, which in mm-hmm. his own right is a really important thing. Yeah. But he is in the unfortunate position of with a fairly high draft pick, he sort of had to show something. And I feel like he performed just above expectation, yeah. whereas the other guys performed wildly above expectation. Yeah, and from week one. Like yeah. Walker was kind of not easy into it because Penny went down in like week three or week four, but he was eased into it more than three. Well, Woolen was basically the name starter on day like three of training camp. And mm. Yeah, he's, he's remarkable. Um <clears throat> who, who do you think the league MVP is? The league MVP? Um, <laughs> I said this, I don't know if I said this to you on a last podcast or somewhere else, but I think we are in danger of sort of normalising what Patrick Mahomes is doing. Mm. And it's so remarkable that, you know, I don't, he's, he's in that sort of LeBron James messy thing whereby 
they sort of give the award to other people because they can't give it to him every year. Yeah. But in terms of value to his team, um, if it's, well, value to his team, you could argue Nick Bose is right in the conversation. But if we're going to go with the quarterback, I would say that Mahomes is on another planet. Yeah, I, I don't think it's close, to be honest. Uh, no, Although I do think Joe Burrow is a remarkable quarterback. Yeah, but yeah. No, nah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's close. I really don't think. Uh, Jalen maybe before Halloween maybe, but nah. Mahomes has just been, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's LeBron James of like the last four or five years. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, he's remarkable. Uh, defense player of the year is Nick Bosa. I think that's a pretty easy one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, is there anyone else? Not especially. No, I mean, a perfect, no, he got paid. So, I mean, Hassan Reddick in, in Philly seems to have gone somewhat under the radar. I mean, he's got like 16 sacks mm. and no one reads, but they've got four guys with over 11 sacks. <laughs> yeah. Go and get Javon Hargrave. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, offensive player of the year is a really strange one when nine times out of 10, the MVP is an offensive player. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, it's offensive player of the year. I mean, it's probably Jefferson. Yeah, I find him a bit of a little bitch, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, obviously he's an incredible player, but I do find some of his his acting an, antics. Uh, this might bleed into comeback player of the year, but I wonder if Saquon deserves a shout here. He, he was electric on uh, on Sunday. The Giants. I think I text. I think I text that to Ben two or three times on Sunday. It's, it's just, yeah. yeah, I think it's a good shout. I, I think. I think. Was it like? I think when we played the Giants, they had no player over, no receiver over four hundred yards receiving, but he had like seventy percent of all their mm-hmm. yardage kind of things. So yeah, that's probably a good shout. Um, coach of the year for me again. I don't think it's particularly close. I think it's the guy that. It's calling the plays for Saquon Barkley. I think right, the job Brian Dayball has done with that team. Obviously, offensively on Sunday, kind of, kind of uh, jumped off the page. But man, that roster is not should not be anywhere near the divisional round of uh, and the, the the whole kind of like we talk about culture as kind of like a bit maybe a bit of a cliche kind of thing. But the change in that, just watching that team, even in watching Saquon, he looked done. A year ago, mm-hmm. and now he, yeah, like he's going to be in consideration for a few awards. But yeah, I think Brian Dayball should just, he should have his name on it already. He should already have it in his possession. I would have no arguments if he got the award, but as a counter, Carl Shanahan has won 11 games in a row and is currently on the third string quarterback. <laughs> like, that's pretty crazy. It is, and it is, as we said before, the most important position, one of the most important positions on all the sport. But they're in the set, they're in the divisional round with the Giants: Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Trent Williams, George Kill, uh, Mike McGlinchey, Christian McCaffrey. Um, Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell. Then you've got Isaiah Hodgins, Darius Slayton. Daniel Bellinger, um, Daniel Richie Jones. James, Daniel Jones. Uh, you've got a centre who's both knees exploded like 18 months ago. I just think... Uh, ex- I'm not going to argue again, with you. Again, I, with I, expectation. I, and if you can... if you, As you can tell, I've spoke to a Giants fan quite a lot this season. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm not... I'm just... I no, just no, no. no conversation. I, think, I, think, I think it is probably the... I mean, is where's Pete in that conversation? If they had one or two more wins, I yeah. think. If I think if they'd have won one of the regular season games against the Niners, that you you probably bump up a couple a bit, wouldn't you? Especially after pounding they took in week two. Yeah, I mean the the thing about Seattle, as I've said a few times, is that we exceeded expectation because we didn't expect to have good quarterback play. If I told <laughs> you at the start of the season we were going to have good quarterback play. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then nine and eight probably would have been a baseline for what you'd expect the team to do. Yeah, it is. It is remarkable whether 
10 years or whatever it is now, 12 years, that we haven't missed the playoffs on back-to-back seasons. Mm. And I, I know there's yeah, but there's more teams in the playoffs now, but it just seems, I don't know, I mean, not many teams watch games in January. <laughs> and we watch it every other year at least. Just, yeah, I know we had the other quarterback for a bit of that and the best defence probably of this generation, but still, still impressive to keep that track. That turn going kind of thing. Um, comeback player, yeah, Saquon then. Comeback player? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's probably not Deshaun Watson, is it? To be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it probably has to be Saquon. He's yeah. been amazing. I mean, Gino's, Gino's very close. So it, yeah, again, it's definitely a comeback. I mean, McCaffrey, really. I mean, he's yeah. basically been he gone was for... Knackered, wasn't he? Yeah, um, yeah. For, yeah. for a good half of a half, Jamal Adams looked an amazing comeback player of the year, potential. See what happens next year. I, I, this team really did miss that, uh, number 33, I think. Um, one one more thing from Sunday, talking safeties in Seattle. Ryan Neal, man. Mm. It's remarkable how much of a difference he actually makes to things, isn't it? And we kind of jumped around a bit even more wildly now, but he's he's a, I think he's restricted, so they, the Seahawks kind of hold all the all the chess pieces with his future, but that's that's a, that's possibly the easiest decision they're gonna make on a real because I don't know what they do and how they scheme him and how much positions they put him in, but he's always around the ball, it feels like for safety that's quite something. Do you think if um if everyone is healthy that there's a way in which you could bump Jamal Adams forward one line in the defence and maybe play him as like a middle linebacker or an outside linebacker as a like orthodox, that sort of player and use Ryan Neal and Jamal and, and Quandry as your two safeties. But I think you could also do it the other way. I do think you probably do put Neal in that kind of position mm-hmm. as well because I don't know what the measurements look like, but they feel like they look somewhat similar. Maybe Jamal's a bit more jacked. Um Made out of concrete. Uh, I think someone says somewhere on the interwebs this week, but uh, but yeah, yeah, no, nah. it's it, that again. They're like Jamal coming back would add that because if Ryan Neal should is probably going to be in Seattle again next year, it's going to be add something else to this defense, which is probably going to be without this middle linebacker for mm. a month or so. But we'll see what the the draft brings. Yeah, the twenty twenty two season twenty twenty ended in twenty twenty three for Seahawks. Uh, divisional playoffs. I mean, they're going to be. This going to be a fun weekend, isn't it? Yeah, this is the best weekend of the year. Yeah, uh, the four games. Who do you see? Who do you see winning? Um, I think it's going to be an Eagles, Niners, Chiefs, Bengals. Ooh. Even with all like the wind and rain and snow up in Buffalo. Is that what it's supposed to be? Well, the snow, I think, is almost a certainty, yeah. I've had the Bengals down as my Super Bowl champion since before the playoffs, which is, I guess, a week ago but, um, <laughs> when, when I had to do it. But you were on that wagon for 10 days. You've only oh, got some yes. time. Yeah, I, uh, I just think Barrow has got everything about him. I mean, him, want. him not looking back at Chris Collinsworth on uh, Sunday night Yeah, is... It's the coolest thing. He's just such a dude. And like saying that their window is open as long as he's playing, I just think it's just such a great thing. Uh, I I love him. I absolutely love him. Uh, And so I'm I'm a bit bit biased. But yeah, I think they're going to go and get it done in Buffalo. Yeah. I I think this is not obviously their fault in the slightest, but I think that Buffalo are playing with this sort of level of emotion that eventually runs out. After the Hamlin thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, they nearly lost to Skyler Thompson, yeah, at home. Uh, yeah, I probably agree. The Giants, though, man, I know. Look, what one one of them always goes against you, so it wouldn't stun me. If and, the they, and they the and they and they and they played the the Eagles close in week seventeen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Niners Cowboys, there can be like a sinkhole appear at some point because, <laughs> yeah, that's I think that's gonna be an interesting kind of thing with um, with Brock Birdie. That's gonna be a different challenge. That's gonna be, I, I, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if the Cowboys won. Agreed, 
Look, the Cowboys are a traditionally built top-heavy team, yes. and as a result, if it all clicks for them like it did on Monday night, they can steamroller yeah. anyone. Yeah. Uh, where's Tom Brady playing next year, do you think? Or do you think he's done? Oh, that's a good question. It, it's probably going to be it's Vegas, maybe? Yeah, like, I was thinking that. It feels like, yeah. It feels like Vegas either... Vegas or Carolina if Sean Payton gets the job there. I mean, Saints. I mean, what are the Saints going to ask for Carolina for him? Um, I did see Russell Wilson, uh, sorry, the uh, oh. former Denver Broncos quarterback has been uh, reached out to Sean Payton to it ask him to be the Broncos head coach. And I wonder if... Uh, Sean Payton whole... blocked the number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> block, delete and report <laughs> all in one fell swoop. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, I, 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 I'm still... If, yeah, I mean, there's always one thing that like already Adam never wiped that quarterback from history because they that posted amazing. the highlights package from the Packers game without even a mention of who was throwing the ball around. That was amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, right, spin it a bit. Yes. Okay, uh, I'm going to start with a jovial one. Um, in all of the history of golf, um, 100, I don't know how many years, uh, 75 years maybe the PGA Tour, they play 52 weeks a year. There's been 15 players who have led a tournament on the PGA Tour after the first round and missed the cut the following day. As of 4 a.m. Saturday morning, that was now 16, because Jordan Spieth, <laughs> after putting 20 English pounds on his name at 14 to 1, decided to go put like a fine demon on Thursday in Hawaii and then couldn't hold anything on um on Friday, uh, bogeyed four out of seven, but no, five out of seven holes and missed the cut and became the 16th player ever. And as you can tell, well, six days later, uh, still not over it. So Jordan Spieth, one of the best golfers in the world, one of my favourite golfers to watch when he's on form, as he was on Thursday, um, can get in the bin, Adam. I think that seems perfectly fair. Um, who have I got to go in the bin? Um, there's Jim White and Talk Sport for giving a platform to an out-and-out racist. And you just wonder, you know, if Bin Laden had offered Jim White a 12-minute exclusive on Talk Sport, would that have been enough? You know, w- w- would he have had him on? Uh, you know, w- what's the what's the level that you won't take a take an exclusive, Jim? Um, so I think he can get firmly in the bin. Um Am I going to say, do I want to say this? Uh, Why well, well, can say that? Emmanuel Acho can get in the bin. Oh, um, God, for a lot of things, but prick. his um, his tweet with holding up Justin Herbert's social media quarterback jersey. I mean, Emmanuel Acho had like three NFL tackles during his whole career. His brother was a better NFL player for him than him. And he's just... Yeah, I think we've had chats about that TV show. Obviously, we don't only see social media clips, but there seems to be a quite clear divide of get a, a, with the good eggs and the bad eggs. And it is him and the short Shady McCoy, the short McCoy on the left, and Joy Taylor and David David Hellman, I think he covered the Cowboys. They seem to be like on planet Earth, and they just seem to be, we can be Skip Bayless if we keep this up. It's just tiring. It's, it's yeah. Was it uncomfortable conversations? And it's possibly the yeah. easiest interview Roger Goodell's ever done. Just, just, yeah, just the worst. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. even Hugo Lloris could block out some of the questions that Acho was asking. Let's <laughs> no, not go too crazy. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so my, my one, and I, this isn't a bin as such, but I found some of the coverage of the Mar Hamlin since he's been like released from hospital to almost feel like he's there in the background saying guys you know like i i'm alive and, and and thank god i'm doing quite well there seems to be quite a lot of enforced grief put on from parts of the media i don't know if i'm phrasing this right but I, I a lot of the conversation that, a lot of the conversation and sort of like for damar like i think benjamin albright when the bills won on saturday put up a picture of hamlin with his number three and said and look, the Bills won by three. Like, if I was to Mahamla, but Ben, I'm, I'm right here. Yeah, I, I was at the game. Um, 
there seems to be a little bit of sort of performative grief on his behalf that mm. I wonder if, um, yeah, I wonder if even he wants that level of it sometimes. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I've missed all that. So we can't, <laughs> I didn't see your bright tweet. Um, he actually deleted it because he got flamed in the comments. Oh, uh, okay. And then yeah. did another one like, why are people so mean? Yeah, I mean, actually I did that like 10 days ago and then posted that about Herbert. Um, but Albright does deserve to get in the bin for quote-tweeting me on the first day of the season when I called the Denver Brokers quarterback a prick and he said, he is not. And so I, I, I responded to him about two weeks ago saying, by the way, do you think he's a, a prick now? And, uh, <laughs> amazingly, I had no response. Who would have thought? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's fascinating, all that. How they've all, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, I don't know. The Hamlin stuff is... Yeah, it just kind of seemed it because he's still on oxygen. I'm sure I'm sure Jim Nance said that on Sunday, he's still at home on oxygen and stuff. So he's clearly like not completely out of the woods, but it it, it's not something I've noticed. Uh, but yeah, it does sound like it is very, very bin worthy. Um it's also one of those that you know the NFL will use as like a look at the compassion we showed to one of our guys. When it's like universal knowledge, it was Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor, who called an entire game. Yeah, but when the next, like, you know, when someone gets, uh, you know, unfortunately toured next year with a concussion, they're going to say, how dare you say we don't care for our guys? Look at the outpouring of love towards Hamlin. And you can see him becoming this sort of political pawn between the NFLPA and the NFL and a little bit like that going forward. Yeah. I mean, the the thing on him a few weeks ago where the Bills allowed him to take his full pay that's a that's has to be something that's just, what, what what does the yeah the NFLPA just seem to have just like they'd really dropped the ball with this CBA yeah it's just a, it's a few things you're like they're doing what now yeah um there's a chance the Seahawks might be coming over to to um White Hart Lane I that a they can get in the bin for chance. because if they do they'll be ruining my potential trip to Nashville Tennessee to go watch them play Same. the Titans next year Same. um you, me, and Isaac Kimes strolling the streets uh, with, with, with uh, amongst others. Because um, we had this, I mean, Broadway and Nashville is not exactly the same. We can walk past Enoch out banners, is it? <laughs> hey, look, it's a great chick king. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I've seen I've seen some chat tonight that maybe the the, the way they've announced it and way they've labelled the teams that the Jags are just going to play all, all, all the games in London next year. Sorry, say again. So they haven't said their home teams, their designated teams. Okay. So someone is suggesting that the Jags will play three games in London. So they'll play the Bills, the Titans, yeah. and another team to be named later. Interesting. Because what, that, that last game at Wembley? Yeah. That's interesting. To try and like lay the foundation groundwork for, um, I see a franchise that moving over here kind of thing and playing eight, nine games. Mm, that's very interesting. Yeah, that might be something to watch because there was a lot of hype about Germ- from NFI UK people about Germany getting two games. <laughs> Which, <laughs> another thing is, yeah, um, I'm just half surprised that the 49ers weren't one of the teams that come over the way. Certain. Uh, radio presenters were hyping it up. Um, yeah, I don't think that's everything. We've said it all. Um, yes, but I don't know how we managed to get an hour out of that, out of an 18 point demolition, or whatever it was on Saturday night. Um, the next episode is episode 200. This is 199 of them. Yes, indeed. Not sure when that's going to be. Um, because the house I'm currently in, I'm barely not in it next uh week, so might be a couple of weeks till the next pod. Uh, text messages and emails are currently being ignored for all sizes and colours, <laughs> um, but we keep going. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try and get some cool people on, get some, maybe see if uh, a few of our uh, old, uh, not old, uh, can't think of the word. Uh, yeah, some of the people are old favourites, friends, friends of the show back on. Maybe even see if the, the, the two or three people who listen to this pod one jump on with us as well. And yeah, 199. Just to revel in, in our revel in our greatness. Yeah, not all of them, obviously. The ones that are the only ones which are this side of the Atlantic, I think. Yes. Quite right. Yeah. Uh but yeah, uh usually means the methods, Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, 
it is the best week in the NFL calendar this week. Four unbelievable or potentially unbelievable games ahead. Uh, enjoy whatever corner of the world you watch that from. Uh, until next time, this has been the Pedestrian of Podcast. Go Hawks. <laughs>